Section 52 of The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Yu Qing in Singapore. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2 by Cao Xueqing. Translated by Henry Bancroft Jolly. Chapter 51, Part 1. The young maiden Xue Baoqing devises, in novel style, odes bearing on antiquities. A stupid doctor employs, in reckless manner, drugs of great strength. When the party heard, the story goes, that Baoqing had made the old places of interest she had, in days gone by, visited in the various provinces, the theme of her verses, and that she had composed ten stanzas with four lines in each, which, though referring to relics of antiquity, bore covertly on ten common objects, they all opined that they must be novel and ingenious, and they vied with each other in examining the text. On perusal, they read, On the relics of Chivi, Deep in Chivi doth water lie, Concealed which does not onward flow. There but remains a name and surname Contained in an empty boat when with a clamorous din the fire breaks out the said wind waxes cold and endless host of eminent spirits wander about inside on the ancient remains in Daozhi, posts of copper and walls of gold protect the capital its fame is spread beyond the seas scattered in foreign lands how true it is that Mayan achievements have been great the flute of iron need not trouble to sing of Zifang. On the vestiges of former times in Zhongshan, renown and gain do they, at any time, fall to a woman's share. For no reason have I been bidden come into the mortal world. How hard a task, in point of fact, it is to stop solicitude. Don't bear a grudge against such people as may oft-times jeer at you. On things of historic interest in Huaiyin, the sturdy man must ever mind the insults of the vicious dog. The official's rank in Sanxi was but fixed when his cuffing was closed. Tell all people that upon earth do dwell to look down upon none. The bounty of one single bowl of rice should be treasured till death. On events of old in Guangling, Cicadas chirp, crows roost, but in a twinkle they're gone. How fares these latter days the scenery in Suidi? It's all because he has so long enjoyed so fine a fame that he has given rise around to so many disputes. On the ancient remains of the Taoya fairy, dry grass and parched plants their reflects cast upon the shallow pond. The peach-tree branches and peach-leaves will bid farewell at last. What a large number of structures in Liuchao raise their heads. A small picture with a motto hangs on the hollow wall. On the antique vestiges of Xingzhong, the black stream stretches far and wide, but hindered is its course. What time were no more thrummed the frozen courts, the songs waxed sad. The policy of the Han dynasty was in truth strange. A worthless officer must for a thousand years feel shame. 
on things of historic renown in Maui. Quiet the spots of rouge with sweat pile up and shine. Gentleness in a moment vanishes and goes. It is because traces remain of his fine looks that to this day his clothes are fragrance still emit. On events of the past connected with the Pudong Temple. The small red lamp is wholly made of thin bone and is light. Furtively was it brought along, but by force was it stolen. Oft was it, it is true, hung by the mistress' own hands, but long ere this has she allured to it to speed off with her. On the scenery about the Meihua or Plum Blossom Monastery, if not by the plum trees, then by the willows it must be. Has anyone picked up in there the likeness of a girl? Don't fret about meeting again. In spring its scent returns. Soon as it's gone and west winds blow, another year has flown. When the party had done reading the verses, they with perfect unanimity extolled their extraordinary excellence. Bao Chai was, however, the first to raise any objections. The first eight stanzas, she said, are founded upon the testimony of the historical works, but as for the last two stanzas, there's no knowing where they come from. Besides, we don't quite fathom their meaning. Wouldn't it be better, then, if two other stanzas were written? Dai Yu hastened to interrupt her. The lines composed by cousin Bao Qin are indeed devised in a too pig-headed and fast and loose sort of way, she observed. The two stanzas are, I admit, not to be traced in historical works, but though we've never read such outside traditions and haven't any idea what lies at the bottom of them, have we not likely seen a couple of plays? What child of three years old hasn't come notion about them? and how much more such as we what she says is perfectly correct tantrum chimed in she has besides liu and then remarked been to these places herself but though there be no mention anywhere of these two references falsehoods have from old till now been propagated and the busybodies have in fact intentionally invented such relics of ancient times with a view of bamboozling people that year, for instance, in which we travelled up here to the capital, we came across graves raised to Guan, the sage, in three or four distinct places. Now the circumstances of the whole existence of Guan, the sage, are established by actual proof, so how could there again, in his case, exist a lot of graves? This must arise from the esteem in which he is held by posterity for the way he acquitted himself of his duties during his lifetime and it is presumably to this esteem that this fiction owes its origin this is quite possible enough even in the guangyuzi you will see that not only are numerous tombs of the sage guan spoken of but that bygone persons of note are assigned tombs not few in number but there are many more relics of antiquity about which no testimony can be gathered the matter treated in the two stanzas now in point is of course not borne out by any actual record yet in every story that is told in every play that is sung and on the various slips as well used for fortune-telling 
it is invariably to be found old and young men and women do all understand it and speak of it whether in proverbs or in their everyday talk they don't resemble besides the ballads encountered in the xi Zi and mu Ting to justify us to fear that we might be setting eyes upon some corrupt text they are quite harmless so we'd better keep them bao chai after these arguments dropped at length all discussion they thereupon tried for a time to guess the stanzas none however of their solutions turned out to be correct but as the days in winter are short and they saw that it was time for their evening meal they adjourned to the front part of the compound for their supper the servants at this stage announced to madame wang that xi ren's elder brother hua zifang was outside and reported to her that he had entered the city to say that his mother was lying in bed dangerously ill and that she was so longing to see her daughter that he had come to beg for the favour of taking xi ren home on a visit as soon as madame wan heard the news she dilated for a while upon people's mothers and daughters and of course she did not withhold her consent sending therefore at the same time for lady feng she communicated the tidings to her and enjoined her to deliberate and take suitable action lady feng signified her willingness to do what was necessary and returning to her quarters she there and then commissioned zhou rave's wife to go and break the news to xi ren send also she went on to direct mrs Shaw, for one of the married women who are in attendance when we go out of doors and let you two together with a couple of young maids follow xi ren home but dispatch four cart attendants boiled up in years to look everywhere for a spacious curricle for you as well as her and a small carriage for the maids all right acquiesced Jorah's wife but just as she was about to start lady feng continued her injunctions xi ren she added is a person not fond of any fuss so tell her that it's i who have given the orders and impress upon her that she must put on several nice coloured clothes and pick up a large valise full of wearing apparel her valise must be a handsome one and she must take a decent hand stove bid her too first come and look me up here when she's about to start mrs shaw promised to execute her directions and went on her way after a long interval lady feng actually saw xi ren arrive got up in full costume and headgear and with her two waiting-maids and Jorae's wife who carried the hand-stove and the valise packed up with clothes lady feng's eye was attracted by several golden hairpins and pearl ornaments of great brilliancy and beauty which xi ren wore in her coiffure her gaze was further struck by the peach-red stiff silk jacket she had on brocaded with all sorts of flowers and lined with ermine by her leek green weighted jupe artistically ornamented with coils of gold thread and by the bluish satin and grey squirrel pelisse she was wrapped in these three articles of clothing given to you by our dowager lady lady feng smiled are all very nice but this pelisse is somewhat too plain if you wear this you'll besides feel too cold so put on one with long fur our oh, madame wang soon laughingly rejoined gave me this one with a grey squirrel i've also got one with ermine she says that when the end of the year draws nigh she'll let me have one with long fur i've got one with long fur 
Lady Feng proceeded with a smile. I don't fancy it much, as the fringe does not hang with grace. I was on the point of having it changed, but never mind, I'll let you first use it, and when at the close of the year, Madame has one made for you, I can then have mine altered, and it will come to the same thing as if you're returning it like that to me. One and all laughed. That's the way of talking into which her ladyship has got, they observed. There she is, the whole year round, recklessly, carelessly, and secretly making good, on Mademoiselle's account, ever so many things. How many, there is no saying, for really, the things for which compensation is made cannot be so much as enumerated. And does she ever go and settle scores with Mademoiselle? And here she comes, on this occasion, and gives vent again to this mean language, in order to poke fun at people. How could Madame Wang, Lady Feng laughed, ever give a thought to such trifles as these? They are, in fact, matters of no consequence. Yet, were I not to look after them, it would be a disgrace to all of us. And needless to say, I would myself get into some scrape. It's far better that I should dress you all properly, and so get a fair name and a finish, for were each of you to cut the figure of a burnt cake, people would first and foremost ridicule me by saying that in looking after the household I have, instead of doing good, been the means of making beggars of you. After hearing her out, the whole party heaved a sigh. Who could ever be, they exclaimed, so intuitively wise as you, to show above such regards for Madame Wang, and below such consideration for her subordinates. In the course of these remarks, they noticed Lady Feng bid Ping Er find the dark green stiff silk cloak with the white fox she had worn the day before, and give it to Siren. But perceiving also that in the way of a valise, she only had a double one made of black-spotted, figured sarsnet with a lining of light red pongee silk, and that its contents consisted merely of two weighted jackets, the words for wear, and a pelisse, Lady Feng went on to tell Ping to fetch a woolen wrapper lined with jade and green pongee, but she ordered her besides to pack up a snow cloak for her. Ping walked away and produced the articles. The one was made of deep red felt and was old. The other was deep red soft satin, neither old nor new. I don't deserve so much as a single one of these, Siren said. Keep this felt one for yourself, Pinero smiled. And take this one along with you and tell someone to send it to that elderly girl who, while everyone in that heavy fall of snow yesterday was rolled up in soft satin, if not in felt, and while about ten dark red dresses were reflected in the deep snow and presented such a fine sight, was the only one attired in those shabby old clothes. She seems more than ever to raise her shoulders and double her back. She's really to be pitied, so take this now and give it to her. She surreptitiously wishes to give my things away, Lady Feng laughed. I haven't got enough to spend upon myself, and here I have you, better still, to instigate me to be more open-handed. This comes from the filial piety your ladyship has ever displayed towards Madame Wang, everyone laughingly remarked, and the fond love for those below you. For had you been mean and only thought of making much of things and not cared a rap for your subordinates, would that girl have presumed to behave in this manner?
If anyone therefore has read my heart, is she? Lady Fong rejoined with a laugh. But yet she only knows it in part. At the close of this rejoinder, she again spoke to Siren. If your mother gets well, all right, she said. But if anything happens to her, just stay over and send someone to let me know so that I may specially dispatch a servant to bring you your bedding. But whatever you do, don't use their bedding, nor any of their things to comb your hair with. As for you people, continuing, she observed to Mrs. Jolray, you no doubt are aware of the customs prevailing in this establishment, so that I can dispense with giving you any injunctions. Yes, we know them all, Mrs. Jolray assented. As soon as we get there, we'll, of course, request the male inmates to retire out of the way. And in the event of our having to stay over, we'll naturally apply for one or two extra inner rooms. With these words still on her lips, she followed Shiran out of the apartment. Then, directing the servant boys to prepare the lanterns, they, in due course, got into the curricle and came to Huazifan's quarters, where we will leave them without any further comment. Lady Feng, meanwhile, sent also for two nurses from the Yihong court. I'm afraid, she said to them, that she won't come back, so if there be any elderly girl who has your knowledge, so far, had her wits about her, depute her to come and keep night watch in Pao Yu's rooms. But you nurses must likewise take care and exercise some control, for you mustn't let Pao Yu recklessly kick up any trouble. Quite so, answered the two nurses agreeing to her directions, after which they quitted her presence. But not a long interval expired before they came to report the result of their search. We've set our choice upon Qing Wen and Shi Yu to put up in his rooms, they reported. We four will take our turn and look after things during the night. When Lady Feng heard these arrangements, she nodded her head. At night, she observed, urge him to retire to bed soon, and in the morning, press him to get up at an early hour. The nurses replied that they would readily carry out her orders, and returned alone into the garden. In a little time, Jory's wife actually brought the news, which she imparted to Lady Feng, that, as her mother was already beyond hope, Siren could not come back. Lady Feng then explained things to Madame Wang, and sent, at the same time, servants to the garden of Broad Vista, to fetch Shiren's bedding and toilet effects. Bao Yu watched Qing Wen and Shou Yu get all her belongings in proper order. After the things had been dispatched, Qing Wen and Shou Yu divested themselves of their remaining fineries and changed the jupes and jackets. Qing Wen seated herself round a warming frame. Now, Shou Yu smiled, you're not to put on the airs of a young lady. I advise you to also move about a bit. We are all clean gone, Xin Wen returned for answer. I shall have ample time to budge, but every day that you people are here, I shall try and enjoy peace and quiet. My dear girl, Xiu Yuan laughed, I'll make the bed, but drop the cover over the shovel glass and put the catches right. You're so much taller than I. So saying, she at once set to work to arrange the bed for Bao Yu. Hi ejaculated Xin Wen, smiling. One just sits down to warm oneself, and here you come and disturb one. Bao Yu had at this time been sitting, plunged in a despondent mood. 
the thought of Shirin's mother had crossed through his mind, and he was wondering whether she should be dead or alive, when unexpectedly overhearing Ching Wen pass the remarks she did, he speedily sprung up and came out himself and dropped the cover of the glass and fastened the contrivance, after which he walked into the room. Warm yourselves, he smiled. I've done all there was to be done. I can't manage, Ching Wen rejoined, smiling, to get warm at all. It just also strikes me that the warming pan hasn't yet been brought. You've had the trouble to think of it, Shuya observed, but you've never wanted a chafing dish before. It's so warm, besides on that warming frame of ours, not like the stove couch in that room, which is so cold, so we can very well do without it today. If both of you are to sleep on that, Bobby smiled, there won't be a soul with me outside, and I shall be in an awful funk. Even you won't be able to have a wink of sleep during the whole night. As far as I'm concerned, Xinwen put in, I'm going to sleep in here. There's Xie Yuan, so you'd better induce her to come and sleep outside. But while they kept up this conversation, the first watch drew near, and Xie Yuan at once lowered the mosquito curtain, removed the lamp, burned the joysticks, and waited upon Bao Yu until he got into bed. The two maids then retired to rest. Xinwen reclined all alone on the warming frame, while Xie Yuan lay down outside the winter apartment. End of section 52. Recording by Yu Qing in Singapore.